2: Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. Lance, how are you tonight? Doing really well. How are you? Doing good. And this episode is brought to you by Hunt a Killer, a brand new game. You got to hear about it. It's coming up in a little bit. This episode is kind of different. It's almost, we're almost hearkening back to the old days of MMM when it was just me and Lance, we were breaking down articles, breaking down
0: things that we've we've read about the case things that we knew things that we thought we knew uh and we had a conversation earlier on about the fact that we we do reference articles a lot but we really should get into these articles so that's what we're going to do we we there are articles that were written right after Mora disappeared there's information in there that has sustained through the years and there's information that has been contradicted through the years so very interesting stuff here and frankly a little overdue so we want to give a big thanks
2: to our buddy dan who sent us some of these articles and uh, you may remember dan from the umass cabin episode
0: we went in on a, a monday morning to be induced um, the day after the, the due date and my girlfriend was uh, in the bed getting the on-demand nitrous oxide while i'm sitting in the corner on my phone looking up mora murray information online trying to in the delivery room yes yeah, sir i love that that's that's amazing thanks
2: a lot dan and also on this episode we're going to bring in an old friend of mine and a journalist who's written a couple of articles about maura disappearance his name is chris peak how's it going chris uh it's good it's uh good to be with you
0: guys again i guess chris and i aren't friends so i'll introduce myself (laughs) of course we are I know. I just heard Tim say an old friend of his. Well, I went to high school with him. Maybe we're new friends. We're new friends. Yeah, we're new friends. Okay.
1: You know, Lance uh, follows and unfollows me on Twitter, so sometimes it's it's tough to figure out where you stand with him.
0: I unfollow you.
1: You, I, I think over the past year, you followed and unfollowed me a half a dozen times.
0: Really?
2: Which is fine. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not upset about it. I was just. You know. I have. I think that just happens. I feel like that's happened to me with with certain people too, I, but uh, I, I can't imagine Lance is seriously following you and unfollowing you. It's almost like the poke feature on Facebook. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> that's that's really interesting. And I I apologize if there was any uh maybe I have the random follow unfollow feature uh, setting on on you. <laughs> on, on sure. Your. Yeah. And you have that great uh, McDonald's tweet there on your banner. Nice.
1: I'm just depressed overall
2: about that whole thing, so.
0: It's exhausting.
2: I know, I know.
0: You're talking about politics.
2: I am, yes. So do you, are you have you been writing any articles about politics lately? I have, yes, but. Uh, oh, okay. Anything you want to share real quick before we get
1: into this? The whole fake news thing that, that we've been dealing with for the past, I don't know what, eight or almost a year since since the campaign started. I've actually noticed just talking to family like my family's actually getting smarter because they're having to fact check everything now. Like I would I would always have to kind of uh introduce them to you know what's going on or, you know, the Congress is, is doing this or but now I find that my mother is like emailing me about, Hey, are you following the Gorsuch hearing? So I just feel like, you know, with with the, the way that things turned out and of course you know, hearing fake news about a 100 times a day, uh, that, that, you know, I, for, for a while, people were a little depressed about, you know, maybe the country is just full of a bunch of, you know, dummies, but I kind of think, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist by heart, but I kind of think that, uh, that all of this, you know, rhetoric and fake news stuff is kind of making us smarter, like, like we're, we're having to, to do the hard work and to actually read stories that aren't just on Facebook. So
2: Read more than headlines and then fact check those stories that you read. Yeah. Go beyond
1: what your you know second cousin liked on Facebook and actually try and figure out, oh, is this actually true?
0: Yeah. I, I totally noticed that, but I guess I never really thought about it until you said it. And it's also bringing – as bad as the situation is, I have never seen the country be more united for causes that are humane. Well, people who have
2: never been into politics before have been activated recently,
0: right? And of course, that can
1: be a bad thing. Thankfully, I'm not on Facebook, but uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I've seen some of the things that uh, family members have been posting on Facebook. So, you know, having an active aunt on Facebook isn't the best thing, but. Hopefully, there's, there's more coming out now that can kind of say like, oh, and, and now we have Facebook with their new kind of fact-checking um, app or whatever the hell you want to call it that's actually going to now list
2: whether or not this… From an accredited web- website or not. Yeah. Now, Pete, before we get all political here and alienate half our audience, let's just uh, slow down. We're going to talk about Morimari, but uh, tell everyone what um, publications you've written for.
1: So I've written for um, Elite Daily, uh, Good Magazine, Point Magazine, uh, The Colonel, Huffington Post, Gawker, um, so a bunch of sites that I
2: guess people tend to read. Okay. Well, I think it's important to have you on for this episode because we are talking about these old articles and... We wanted to get the perspective of someone like you, a journalist, who can see how things can go awry either naturally or some kind of spin. So you can help us break these inconsistencies down and these oddities that we're going to find in these articles. And we're going to find out if they're really odd or if they're really inconsistencies or how they could have happened
0: and we we often talk about the group of people that help us behind the scenes and occasionally we have them on and chris peak is one of those people who will email us frequently and just recently have we decided to have him on so there's always the, the the gears are always in motion the you know the machine is always working behind the scenes
2: Monday, February 9th, 2004, mostly cloudy, slight chance for snow showers, lows 18 to 23 with a south to southwest wind, less than 10 miles per hour. This is from
0: February 9th and it's talking about the night, February 9th. And to get into that, uh, the next day was very similar weather uh, overnight, lots of clouds, intervals of sun, chance of some snow flurries, that's on Tuesday. Uh, highs in the low 20s so overnight we're talking 10 to 20s
2: first article we have here was printed thursday february 12th written by gary e Lindsley. the article appeared in the caledonian record
0: and gary Lindsley was the foremost reporter on this case again we're not talking about a, a city of 200,000 people and and five newspapers. So, but
2: right, but he wrote a lot of articles on the case.
0: Most of them, yeah.
2: The second paragraph in this article says, The woman, Maura Murray of Hansen, may be suicidal according to a press release issued by police chief Jeffrey
0: Williams. Right, this is the police asked for help finding missing woman, yeah. Uh, second, second paragraph after introducing uh, a 21-year-old Massachusetts woman says, She might be suicidal. That's uh, according to Chief Jeffrey Williams. Is that responsible? I never like to nitpick something
1: that's been said or written that's certainly over a decade old, right? So so there's stuff that I've written uh, that I would hope wouldn't be dissected uh, 10 years from now. But I think with this press release, and it was such a misstep in some ways, it actually makes sense that they would – they would have come out with this with this release because it sort of lays the groundwork for a police department that was, in the end, I don't think anybody would disagree. They were really over their heads with her disappearance, so it, so it kind of makes sense that the very first thing that they would come out with is something that really wasn't factual, and that you know
0: she could have been suicidal.
2: Right now, I wonder where he got that from.
0: There was some speculation as to whether he got that from what Fred Murray said, right? Right. Interesting. All I'm saying, I'm I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth or or theorize or speculate on anything. Um, It's interesting, though, right? Because we don't know that. We don't know that Jeffrey Williams got this information from something that he heard Fred say.
2: Right. And and we also feel pretty strongly, I think, at this point that – Fred has said over and over, uh, o- over the years, that he thinks Mora was met with foul play by a local dirtbag. So yeah, he he may have said he thought she might have been suicidal at one point, very early on. But he definitely has changed his tune. Is it something he said so the police would keep looking, or
0: is it something he really believed? Because to me, it seems like he really believes that. I I completely agree. Um, if he were to say. That it, it, by declaring somebody suicidal, what's the what's the law on that? When do they stop looking for somebody if they're if they've been kidnapped, abducted? Then it becomes more of an urgent matter. Suicide isn't a, isn't so much of an urgent matter,
2: right? So it, it, you he has some motive in lying about about it, saying oh she might have been suicidal if he knew something, and then saying oh actually no I was wrong with that. But at this point, I mean, so I I don't know what happened back in 2004 with him. But at this point, he does not believe she committed suicide. She has not been found in 13 years, a a person who committed suicide. Most uh, people, most bodies are found, especially if it's not in water, which it, it could have been, I guess, because there was a river nearby.
0: Yeah, this conversation reminds me of the like you said the early days of doing this podcast where I start getting that that like pit in my stomach, anxiety and and a little a little bit of you know I'm getting a little angry about the whole thing. Well, like, why would you put this in an article? To to the second paragraph in an article, immediately this article is dismissed by most people after they read that the woman Murray Murray of Hanson may be suicidal, according to the police chief. According to the police chief, so reading that, I, I mean, I'm going to probably start reading about something else, because I don't want to read about the sad story of the girl who went into the woods, and she's suicidal. It's... I just... I, I, I'm i getting those old feelings back again.
2: Well, Dan highlights the very last line in this article. It says, police believe Murray may be headed to the Kankamangas Highway. And he says that is sort of an odd thing, or, or stood out to him. And it's a good point. I don't know why that would be in there unless
0: they're just taking Fred's word for it that Morrow was headed to Bartlett. It feels like a lazy bit of like an empty piece of reporting to me. Yeah. They just kind of chose the the most popular route that goes through that area, the Kangamangas Highway, and she may have been heading that way. It just feels lazy to me. What do you think?
1: Yeah, it it could be lazy. It could also be just the reporter trying to set an early tone for the story or uh, later. You know, he he could also just have been trying to personalize the story and, and the area knowing who his readers were. And sort of, you know, making that connection with, um, you know, certainly a, a highway known to New Englanders. And it, it could also just have been the reporter taking a creative liberty and, and adding some, some meat to the story, right? Just filling up a page with, with some words or conjecture, even if there was no direct evidence that that's where um, she was headed, right there, there's always you're always trying to connect in some way to the reader and as long as you're not fudging lines or you know getting too deep into speculation i don't really you know find anything wrong with it i don't think this is necessarily something about being lazy um over a reporter just trying to to fill up a page right like he he may have had another 200 words to write and sometimes those last few hundred words are are the most difficult so i wouldn't call it lazy i would i would call it fluff
2: just to read a little bit some some of these articles here's one from the next day february 13th here's a bit of it witnesses who saw the accident told police they had seen a lone woman they also said that it didn't appear the woman had been injured in the accident When they asked if she needed help or the police, she reportedly said no. She left the scene before police and EMS arrived. Police said Mora may be suicidal and headed towards the Kankamangas Highway. Again, that same line in the very next article. Fred Murray says he does not understand what prompted his daughter to leave the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, where she is a nursing student, to drive to New Hampshire. He said it is very unusual for her to just take off. He had seen her on Sunday afternoon and didn't suspect anything was wrong. And here's the quote. I don't know exactly what you think is the matter. It isn't anything that can't be easily solved. And that was Fred Murray pleading to his daughter through the media.
0: And that, that quote there has become something of, uh, of folklore at this point. Um anything that we can do more, this is me. Like always, we will solve this. This isn't anything we can't, that, that can't be easily solved. I'd say that's a, that's a pretty, pretty clever piece of writing right there to make sure that they put that in there. Pretty clever piece of writing, because imagine this, let's say that they, they do think that, that somebody kidnapped Mora, and they're going to put out the, the, story that she might have been suicidal so maybe the and I'm, maybe I'm giving the police uh, more credit than they deserve but perhaps they contacted Gary Lindsley and said keep pushing the suicide thing and and we're gonna keep pushing Fred Murray begging for his daughter and using her name in there and hopefully someone reads it and someone comes forward out of guilt or pressure or you know maybe feeling too comfortable that that they're getting away with it um, is this some sort of Tactic, I don't know. Is he just trying to get readers to uh, to sympathize with the family, perhaps? Now, at the end of the article that we're talking about, which was on the 13th of February 2004, this is the first time that it's at least published uh, for public consumption that Kathleen Moore's sister called Fred their father on Tuesday from Moore's apartment. We always hear that Kathleen called Fred and told him about uh, the disappearance because she was contacted by the authorities first. This is the first time that Kathleen's name is mentioned, saying she called him Tuesday from Moore's apartment. And apartment, I'm assuming, is the college dorm. I don't think a lot of people realized that Kathleen was in Moore's dorm and made that call from there.
2: Okay, that moves us on to February 18th. 2004, another article from the Caledonian Record written by Gary E. Lindsley. Quote, The search has gone nationwide, said Haverhill Chief Jeffrey Williams in a phone conversation. Williams' four-person police department, which includes himself, has been investigating this disappearance. They, along with detectives from New Hampshire State Police, Troop F, have been receiving leads all over New England. A resident who lives near the accident scene told police Murray was asked if she wanted police or emergency medical services called. She reportedly said no. That was the last time anyone had seen the young woman who reportedly crashed her father's vehicle two days before she crashed her own car.
0: I find it interesting that it's pointed out that Williams has a four person police department, which includes himself. So he's got three deputies on, on the police force in uh, this town and The state police come in from Troop F, and now they're receiving leads from all over New England. The date on this was February 18th, so in in just a few days, in four days, five days, it's gone from suicide to tips all over New England.
2: Right, and there's more from Williams. He says, quote, we don't know if someone picked her up. We are certainly concerned about that. We are getting leads from all over New England. It's a national investigation at this point. Um, Williams wouldn't comment concerning what the witnesses had said about Murray's disappearance between the time of the accident and the time officers arrived.
0: Interesting in this article is there's a little, uh, what do you call those things? A little sidebar, a little, uh, yeah, a little sidebar in there. That says, Search Stagnant, and it's by J.M. Hirsch, Associated Press writer. Uh, the the investigation into the disappearance of a Massachusetts woman seen more than a week ago in northern New Hampshire has become stagnant, her father said. There's no new leads, no new evidence, Frederick Murray said Tuesday, of the search for Maura Murray, a 21-year-old nursing student who disappeared after a car accident in Woodsville, New Hampshire. It's stagnant at the moment. That's a quote from Fred to J.M. Hirsch of the Associated Press. Now, why would this newspaper put that as a sidebar to the article, within the article, stating that it's gone nationwide and we're receiving leads from all over New England? And then right there within this is a little sidebar that says it's it's stagnant. What we're seeing here are really the beginnings of the battle between the family and law enforcement.
2: I guess so. Fred blames the lack of leads on shortage of resources, saying though local police were working hard, he wished the department had more help.
0: Right, exactly. It's it's the start of that whole story. It's the it's the story unfolding right there between law enforcement, local law enforcement needing help, Fred realizing it and and inevitably it became the mess that Fred feared right from the beginning as we can see right here and here's some more quotes from Mr. Murray but you can't get enough
2: evidence because you don't have the force to go out and get it do you wait until you have a body to have evidence and you can call the FBI in is it possible to expand and pound a little harder he says just tell us you're okay Don't come back if you don't want to. Just tell us you're okay. She would if she could, but I don't think she's able to, for whatever reason that is. End quote. That was February 18th, 2004? Yes. And so that was the first time Mr. Murray mentioned the FBI. And so we are still trying to get the FBI to take over this case. So please, there's a petition circling on change.org. You can find the link in the show notes if you haven't signed the petition. It can't
0: hurt. Here's something going back to the 18th. On February 11th, a police dog was brought to the scene. I want to break that down. One police dog was brought to the scene. It says a police dog was brought to the scene, but was able to track her for only 100 yards, prompting her family to conclude that she got a ride. A police helicopter and ground search also turned up no evidence. This is where the conclusions are made that after 100 yards, the dogs lost the scent. This is the first time that we see a police dog and tracking her scent and the, and the 100 yards. And the 100 yards in the direction that this dog was, that we now know this, this dog was searching was right at bradley hill road
2: and also in that article we have the first mention of alcohol in the car or drank by mora murray was not injured in the accident however she was reportedly impaired due to alcohol consumption when she was seen by her car after her accident so i don't know what that means it's it's she was impaired due to alcohol consumption when she was seen by her car. So she was visibly drunk. Is that is that what that says? Because that's not what Butch Atwood said.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if, if this is some sort of creative license that, Chris, you mentioned before that someone could take and not realize the implications of it. But we know that Butch, based on these early articles, which we'll get to, we know that Butch said she didn't seem injured, but she seemed shook up. Seeming shook up. After an accident and impaired due to alcohol when butch really had no reason to think that she was drinking at that point
2: yeah how do you tell the difference anyway
0: yeah
1: this is this is kind of tough because i I would never want to include something that was was not factual and and of course, when anybody is writing anything um, especially in print and now of course online, you just have to assume that Whatever is, is on the page, the reader is going to assume is factual and true. And I just don't think there's any evidence that Mora was intoxicated. There, there can't be because she was never found. And all that the investigators have is a box of wine that was possibly open and stains that could look like red wine. And even if even if we're we're talking about sort of speculation, regardless, I would still never want to include something that could possibly implicate somebody doing something illegal when there's no evidence that anything illegal was done. And when when it starts to come out that more is possibly driving drunk, you have to figure out, okay, where, where's that coming from? Where's, where's the source? And if the source is the police department, then, well, we have to go as far back as day one with that press release about her being suicidal. Okay. And now we're even talking about the story about her car accident the weekend before at UMass is, is now public. So there's a bunch of hearsay that is very prejudicial to Maura, in the very early stages of, of this investigation, that, okay, who the source is for this information about about more possibly being drunk? And why why is that information getting out? And then why is that information finding its way into a newspaper? So we've already established that the Haverhill Police Department is in over its head, right? But now it, it seems like there are dribs and drabs of information that's coming out that isn't necessarily true and i'm not sure why that ever made it past an editor
2: From Detective Scarinza himself, he says, "We are reasonably confident she did not enter the woods near the crash scene. There is no indication someone picked her up. At this point, I have no believe, I have no reason to believe she was taken against her will."
0: I just. I guess I don't know what the protocol is of for what police say and law enforcement say, says to to reporters. John Scarinza took over the case from the state police and downplayed the angle that she was picked up. Downplayed Fred's Fred's theory, Fred's thoughts about it.
2: But at this point also, in this exact article it states that the FBI has been called into the case and Fish and Game Lieutenant Todd Bogardus In a press conference at the Haverhill Police Department Thursday, said that three canine teams, two of which were part of the New England Canine Search and Rescue Group and the other from the state police, were unable to come up with any clues.
0: And it says two of the canines were air-scent dogs. Yep, this, this is the first time that we've seen it become an actual missing persons case
2: okay so that's pretty good then I I mean I remember previously in this podcast saying well kind of throwing out the dogs these dogs got a glove they got a leather a a sniff of a leather a a brand new leather glove that Mora hardly wore and maybe they got no scent of Mora whatsoever but it says here that there are two air scent dogs as well so you would think that between the two different kinds of dogs that something would have come up if there was something other than more ascent at that spot 100 yards away. Correct. Bogardus goes on to say, the results today were non-conclusive. We were unable to locate anything within a
0: two-mile square radius. And the data on this one is? February 20th, 2004. So this is the first time that the public has been informed that the, the radius is, is two miles, and they haven't found anything. They haven't found tracks. They haven't found anything from the dogs. The sense of how it's unfolding comes together with these articles here's
2: another one from Skarinza we have not asked them to do that Skarinza said referring to checking Mora's computer for any information which would help move the investigation along I, I'm i gonna fucking tear my hair out just reading that why why haven't they or why did they even say that yeah why would they both right I I hope they got on it after this I hope someone asked someone to do that and obviously we know that well, we know that whatever was found in the computer didn't lead to Mora's case being solved. So we, we can just assume it wasn't all that great. There weren't great leads on
0: there. But don't you find that hard to believe? I find it hard to believe that Scarinza wouldn't say no comment. I find it so hard to believe that that Scarinza, when approached with that question, would say it's part of an ongoing investigation and I cannot comment on that at this time. Instead of what was what were the words there, we have not asked them to do that. We have not asked them to do that.
2: referring to having the FBI check Mora's computer to see if there were any information to where she might have been headed.
0: It's no wonder people criticize this case and criticize the police force with with comments like that. That's a comment that was immediately after the disappearance. a reporter was talking to John Skorinza and he said, eh, yeah, we hadn't asked them. We're, we haven't asked them to do that. Just say no comment and then go ask. I mean, you, you didn't think of that.
2: Also of note, it says authorities are also conducting background checks of people of interest in the area. Interesting. Yep. So, when asked why a second ground search and air search was conducted on Thursday, nearly a week and a half after the accident, Scarinza said, "We wanted to make sure we had done everything twice. We have a very good feeling we have done everything we can do at the crash site."
0: What What was the date on that one where he said that the there were uh, people of interest? That's on the twentieth. So they so Skorinza says on the 20th that there are people of interest, that they're questioning in town. Yeah. On the 20th as well, he says, there's no indication someone picked her up. At this point, I have no no reason to... Is this guy just, like, talking?
2: I think he, he could think she got into a car, um, but that could also mean that whoever was driving that could be a person of interest. Yeah, so it could be both.
0: I think I'm taking back what I said earlier about the press and the police force using this medium here to make somebody nervous or to put the pressure on somebody. Because if I had done a crime like this and I was reading the papers to find out what the cops are up to, I, I would either say they have no idea what's going on because they contradict themselves within the same day in, in an article. And if they're not, then they're, they're overthinking it so badly that I'm going to get away with it either way.
1: Right, which is which is why um, I've said that it was uh, the worst place for Mora to to have to have gone missing, but also uh, with with your point, the the best place, so to speak, right? Because you you have um, uh, some some would say inept police force, uh, inexperienced, um, uh, over their head. Uh, you have a you have a small town paper with probably two or three reporters um, that, uh, you know, might not be used to covering um, a now national case, although I, I'm I'm not sure at the moment whether it was it was national. But, um, yeah, it, it was just a bad, bad, perfect place for her to go missing.
0: Scarinza, we are on the 20th. We are reasonably confident she did not enter the woods near the crash site. He also said, "Please don't have any indication any harm has come to her. And then he follows up with that line. There is no indication someone picked her up at this point. I have no reason to believe that. So what happened? So they're going on off the assumption she got into a car, though. But there's no indication someone picked her up. That's what he says. And there's no yeah. indication we're reasonably confident she didn't enter the woods. And Maybe no he means picked her up,
2: like, in a nefarious way. Abducted like, her? Abducted her where he's saying she
0: got into a car willingly. that's That has to be what he's thinking, right? It's just painting, yeah, I guess, it's just painting a very confusing picture that leads to where we're at now. Um, he also said he didn't have any indication any harm came to her. No indication someone picked her up and she didn't walk into the woods. And here is Sharon Roush,
2: the mother of Bill Roush, who was Maura's boyfriend. Sharon says, "'It's been a long, long 10 days,' We are very worried. We believe she is somewhere and someone is preventing her from contacting us. She loved her family and there is no way she would put her father and my son through this. She goes on to say, "Mora, we love you. Don't you give up. We will never give up. We will find you. This next article is your favorite one, Lance. Area man laments the events of February 9th. Missing woman didn't accept his help by Gary E. Lindsley, from the Caledonian record.
0: It's always fascinating to hear something from a person who was the last one to see a missing person. Uh, Butch Adwood was, as far as we know, the last person to see Mora that night. And this article is written so close to her disappearance, it's about as close to the truth as you're going to get from Butch Atwood. Butch Atwood is no longer with us. He's deceased. There has been enormous rumors about him, and then rumors dismissed, and then the rumors start back up again, just based on the next wave of people coming aboard the the, the case and, and looking into it. But... It's, it was always interesting to me that he laments the events of February 9th. He, he talks about how he understands why she wouldn't have accepted help from him because he, you know, is a large man with, you know, he's not clean cut. He's got a beard and he could see how she would get into the car with somebody more clean cut. Um, he also talks about, he saw no blood, she was cold, she was shivering. He never says anything about the alcohol. He told her he said, I was, "I'm going I'll call the police." And this this whole exchange to me has become we've almost scripted it, and I don't mean we here, I mean we as a community looking into the case. We've scripted it as Morris saying in a defiant tone, "No, I'm going to call no, I called AAA." It, it really could have been a number of different ways she said this to him. He, he I'm going to call the police. She doesn't want the police involved. So she could have said, no, no, I'm going to call AAA. Maybe she said, I'm going to call AAA. And he interpreted it as, I called AAA. Uh, and then that, that right there seems very insignificant unless you think she was trying to call AAA. She was trying to get her car out. And maybe she walked to an area to get better service. That's just just a, you know, a little, a theory. Totally.
2: He says, I he, I will make a call to the police department. And why don't you come to my house, get warm, wait for the police and the EMS. She says, no, thanks. She's gone in the next 10 minutes. So he tells her he's calling the police and then she's gone. So, yes, she either went to get service to call AAA But the
0: police were already coming or she didn't want the police to find her. Two things that stand out to me in this article that become uh, more that become muddied as the years go on is whether she was inside the car or outside the car. And in this article, it says Atwood said the Saturn lights weren't on. I shined the light in her car. He said, are you okay?" She said she was. Atwood said he got a good look at her. She looked to be about 20 and had dark hair. As a matter of safety, he told her to turn the car lights on so no one would strike her vehicle coming around the curve. Then he goes on to describe how he saw no blood, but she was shivering. This article puts her inside the car. He also goes on to describe his call to 911. He said he drove to his house about 75 yards from the scene of the accident, Which is also maybe not inconsistent, but if you're saying the
2: dogs lost trace 100 yards from the accident site and this article is saying Butch's house is 75 from the accident site, you're saying the dogs lost the track 25 yards past Butch's house.
0: If everything's correct and it's 75 yards from the accident site to Butch's house, then yeah, 25 yards beyond that, so 25 yards beyond Bradley Hill because Butch lived – right across the street from bradley hill so 75 yards up the street we've been there you know you can see that house he says he backed his bus into the driveway before running to the house to call the police before running into the house to call the police which is a, a interesting descriptor of a man who's over 300 pounds
2: yeah i can't imagine he was really running but i think just moving briskly is is what the writer means
0: Sure, but that yeah that came that came from that came from somewhere that it wasn't just oh I I backed in and then went in to call. Um, he couldn't get through to the Haverhill Police Department and the Grafton County Sheriff's Department. This is the first time that we see that he couldn't get through to the police department or the sheriff's department. He called nine one one and the operator couldn't get through either. Atwood said that another nine one one operator was able to get through. Here's something that is super important. While he was talking on the phone on his front porch, Atwood could see the road but not Murray's disabled car. He saw several vehicles drive by but couldn't tell any makes or models. So we always talk about that window of when she was picked up and how it, was, how it all happened. So that's the window. And it just it just shut a bit because, well, that's the window. So what did he see? What didn't he see? We know that he went back out to his bus and then Smith came up and— he proceeds to search for Mora on his own, driving west towards the Swiftwater Stave Shop.
2: Different from the way Mora was driving, which I know is sort of an issue. Why uh, a lot of people had never really searched east that night,
0: right? Which raises the question, and again, this is hypothetical. What prompted Butch to direct his search west? Was it was it Officer Smith perhaps indicating that, that he should search in that direction? I, we don't know.
2: On February 21st, there was another article and there was some talk about what Mora actually wrote to her professors and it is here in this article um, that she emailed her professors telling them she'd be away for a week because of a family emergency some people have reported that it was that, that Maura said there was a death in the family which is not what she said according to this article and well according to Skrinza and UMass police
0: right and as a matter of fact there's nothing written in the early days of the disappearance, early days, weeks, and months that specify death. It's always been an emergency. So taken at face value with all of the early reporting and investigating on this, Mora did have a conversation with her sister that caused her to cry at work. Mora did have a family emergency if we put those two things together, right? Because why would... She's calling, you know, she talks to her sister at work. She starts crying, has a breakdown, has to be escorted back to her dorm. And then says she has a family emergency. Right now, everyone reads that as she said she had a death in the family. I think we might have even said it early on, too. She reported that she had a death in the family, which was not true. So people hear that part. It resonates, right? Which was not true. At face value, it's true. It's all true. It's all there. She said, my sister, she would, if she, she was actually talking to her sister, she broke down because of some family emergency. And she left because of some family emergency. Everyone just dismisses it too quickly now that she was lying about a death in the family. Well, that was never actually said.
2: So Skorinza says UMass campus police have been interviewing people including professors and students since Murray left the university for unknown reasons. Skorinza says it has become pretty clear she hasn't told anyone she was leaving. In reality, she had planned to go and then there's parentheses says to Burlington. So apparently they were talking about Burlington and he just didn't finish it, finish that sentence with to Burlington but the writer Gary Lindsley was pretty confident that that's what he meant so Skarinza was saying that she didn't tell anyone that she was leaving but she was planning to go to Burlington, Vermont what the hell was she doing on Route 112 if she was going to Burlington, Vermont
0: doesn't it feel like to you that the police sense that they're losing their grip on this
2: Well, Skarinza said it, it, it's very frustrating Right in this, uh, a couple of paragraphs before Referring to the lack of information coming in about where Mari could be. Yeah, so they, they said it. They, they were. Yeah. February 27th, 2004, brings another article from Gary Lindsley. He says that the Murray family has hired an outside investigator to find out what happened to her. Does not state the name of that investigator. We can only speculate at who it might be. I'm sure we've heard the name, probably mentioned the person on the show. More from Sharon Roush. With all the attention from the media, if a good person had picked her up, he would have come forward. It leads us to believe a bad guy picked her up. I just wish they would treat this as a criminal investigation. If they treated it as such, the FBI could become more involved. Also, this is the first mention that Mora packed up her dorm room. It says UMass Police Department Detective Brian Davies said Murray... Had packed up all her belongings in her dorm room and appeared to be moving out and not returning. Um, as we've talked about on this podcast, was more moving in or was she moving out? The semester had just begun,
0: and here is the 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 birth of this of this debate. All of these things we're reading right now is the most of them are the the origins of how how much information's out there and how quickly and the the reasons why it gets all of this white noise comes in the seven to nine minutes is in a is in a butch atwood that comes from butch Atwood that wasn't that's not something that this podcast made up right after when he's talking to Gary Lindsley, Atwood says he invited the woman to wait at his house nearby, but she declined. He said he then went home to call 911. After about seven to nine minutes, he looked out and saw a Haverhill police cruiser by the Saturn. Butch Atwood just put the timestamp on it right there. February 27th. Butch Atwood put the timestamp, seven to nine minutes, time it takes from him to talk to her, get to his house, run inside, make a couple of phone calls that don't go through, is on his porch, says he can't see the scene of the, the accident. Seven to nine minutes, he's in his bus that's backed in, and he can see down there, and he sees Haverhill police by the Saturn. So, Butch Atwood, that's his timestamp on it. Here on the twenty seventh, was it Bill Relish listened to a voicemail, said what he heard, uh, what he believed to be whimpering and crying, and his original statement was that it was Mora, that he believed it was Mora. Skorinza dismisses that in this article on the 27th, says that angle has been eliminated because investigators traced the calling card to the American Red Cross officials who had been attempting to contact Bill Roush. Uh, again, whimpering and crying is one thing and the American Red Cross leaving a message is, is another, it's still, that's still something that is a, a huge mystery to me.
2: It's been out there because of the disappeared episode and they, they never tie it up. They never mention the Red Cross. So it sounds like that that's what it is.
0: Other than Bill said real early on within the first couple of weeks that he had a message from who he believed to be Mora, whimpering and crying.
2: Yeah, it's true. But if Mora had the ability to call Billy, why wouldn't she have just called 911? Right after that, it says there's also the, the mysterious phone call Murray received while working as a security person at a residence hall at UMass on February 5th. The call reportedly reduced Murray to tears and her supervisor had to take her home because she was so distraught. UMass Detective Davies said his department has been able to track the phone call. He says, we know the location. We have not been able to identify whom she was speaking. Her friends have no idea who called her. And then Sharon Roush says, it's obvious to us something has happened to distress her. She said Murray called Bill February 8th and was crying because of the previous Saturday's accident, though he didn't feel that that was it. He told Mora on a scale of 1 to 10, it was only a 3 or a 4 on some kind of crisis scale is what we have to assume, I guess. Right. So he was telling Mora that what you're freaking out about right now isn't as big of a deal as you seem to be making it at this hour, but it was also like 4 a.m.
0: Yeah, and and she she her, totaled her dad's new car. I mean that's that's. I mean he. I think he's. I think he's downplaying it a bit. I think. I think on a scale of one to ten, at that particular time in her life, and she totaled her dad's car. Yeah, that's not a three or a four. That's at that particular time, it feels like a ten. Right. So. Yeah for her it must have yeah exactly and then he's you know he said he had to he had to calm her down he was he was talking her back and you know maybe overall in the grand scheme of life yeah it's a three or four but yeah had to talk her down and convince her that that it wasn't as bad as she thought what's interesting to me is the the um well, first of all, just alluding that it was a mysterious phone call. That's that's weird to me that you'd say a mysterious phone call. But we know the location, Davies said. We have not been able to identify to whom she was speaking. Her friends have no idea who called her.
2: But in that same paragraph, Sharon goes on to say, we are convinced something happened at school and her Amherst friends know.
0: Pure speculation from the mother the mother of Moore's boyfriend, who wasn't even close in proximity to Amherst, Massachusetts, we are to say something like that. What are you trying to get out of? What are you trying to? What are you trying to instigate there? What are you trying to get? What you know? What fire are you trying to light? We are convinced something happened at school, and her Amherst friends know. I mean, no wonder you read this, and no wonder you have armchair detectives that that dig deep into this, right? I mean, no wonder you have people who are they love they love the the true crime and the mystery and they read that we are convinced something happened at school and her Amherst friends know.
2: It could be just Sharon trying to make sure that her friends were being honest. I mean
0: Oh sure. Oh yeah, whatever the motivation was, I don't know, like I said, I'm not sure what she was trying to what fire she was trying to light right there, but look at what a statement like that can, can lead into what it can grow into and develop into, and then you have, you have what you have now.
2: Do you have any closing thoughts?
1: You and I have, have talked about this for the past year or so that, that you guys have been doing this podcast, and you tell me the same answer every time I tell you that Mora went missing at the wrong time. Right, and and your comeback is always well. When is there a good time to go missing? And I would argue that, unfortunately, she disappeared at a time that was just prior to uh, the social media age that that we now live in. Um, certainly, um, you know her her location's an issue. We know that it, it was a small town in the White Mountains, um, but. Yeah, I, I think if, if she had disappeared, even even you know five or six years later, I, I think this would have been a different
0: case. All of these articles have been compiled with great detail and <laughs> much efficiency and, uh, and, and a lot a uh, lot of passion by our buddy Dan, and we will put the link to these articles so you can follow them along when you listen to the episode or you can peruse them on your own. Um, lots and lots and lots of good information, early information here. So we'll put the link to this in the show notes.
2: Thank you, everyone, for listening, and thank you to Chris Peak for joining us on this episode. Chris, where can we find your work? Uh,
1: the easiest place is probably just Twitter, um,
2: at uh, Chris Peak. And thank you very much to Huntakiller. Check them
0: out.